It is a Thursday. Yes, a Thursday. And the weeks are flying by. And we've got the WAFL Grand Final being staged at 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. And that'll be played at the Spiritual Home, as we've mentioned numerous times during the week, of the West Perth Footy Club. Now, we spoke to Darren Harris yesterday, the coach of West Perth. And the day before, we spoke to Ashley Prescott, the coach of the Claremont Footy Club. Now, I'm going to speak to someone today who his son, his son just recently signed a $54 million professional sporting contract. Now, he's 33 years of age. He plays baseball in the United States of America for the Chicago White Sox. Signed a three-year deal with $54 million, including a $1 million signing bonus, $54 million guaranteed, and an annual average salary of something $18 million. So his name's Liam Hendricks, and he got his sporting pedigree from a fella called Jeff Hendricks, who I know quite well. Now, Jeff still holds the record for being the youngest premiership player in the WAFL. In 1975, he was barely just 16 years old and was going to 11th year at high school at St. Mark's College there in Bedford. So I'm going to speak to Jeff Hendricks about 1975. It was the day that Barry Day kicked eight goals for West Perth. They kicked 10 goals in the final term and Barry Day kicked seven goals in that final quarter. And West Perth obliterated South Fremantle by, I think, about 96 points. So Jeff Hendricks is not far away. Looking forward to the chat with him. And I know him as a young fella because I played footy against him in the East Perth Junior Council. He was just an enormous, outstanding footballer. And uh, we always knew that he would go on to bigger and better things. He was almost like a one-man team. You know when you got in junior footy, there's one player that just dominates? Well, that's what Jeff did. He completely dominated. And he's got two children, and they're both very, very good sports people. And as we mentioned, his son Liam, who has been in the United States for a number of years now, is earning big, big bucks. So uh, we'll speak to Jeff Hendricks shortly. Also later in the program, I... I still wanted to preview the NRL Grand Final because this is very unique as well because it's the Battle of the Westies and the Penrith Panthers are heading into their third NRL Grand Final and the Parramatta Eels have not won one in 36 years and they hate each other. There is real rivalry between these two clubs that want to dominate the populous western suburbs of Sydney. And rugby league at the moment is at an all-time high because both of these clubs, particularly Penrith, have had an enormous last three or so years. On the other hand, Parramatta, who are a huge brand in rugby league in New South Wales, have all of a sudden come to the fore again. I remember living in Sydney in the 1980s and Parra were massive. Peter Sterling, Ray Price, Mick Cronin, Brent Kenny, they were a Rolls-Royce of a rugby league team. And since then, they've sort of fallen by the wayside a bit. But they've roared back into contention and they're playing an NRL grand final on Sunday evening. It's a long weekend in Sydney and it should be an absolute beauty. And as we mentioned, I'm looking forward to seeing the pre-game entertainment as well. They always do very good, the NRL. Jimmy Barnes going to rock the Olympic Stadium 
to its core. So looking forward to that. So that's coming up later on. So don't go away. It's going to be certainly very interesting to have a chat to Jeff. And I'll be speaking, by the way, to uh, Scott Sadler, who played over 100 games for the Penrith Panthers. He's going to review and preview that game for us. Review last weekend with the preliminary finals and also preview the big grandy. But the big news, and you heard it on the run home uh, with Damian Martin and Scotty Cummings, who filled in for Paul Hazelby, who's on holidays this week. Uh, they were down at the Wembley Hotel. That Brad Scott is now the next Essendon Bombers coach. He won the role over the Melbourne assistant Adam Uze and the Bombers legend James Hurd to snag the role. Uh, Scott, by the way, interviewed just yesterday. Uh, as we know, he's the identical twin brother of Geelong Premiership uh, winning mentor Chris. And he spent nine years as the head coach of North Melbourne when he resigned in May 2019. And then he took on the role in the AFL Football Operations Department as the AFL's general manager of football. But he had that itch to get back to AFL coaching. He scratched that itch and there he is. Uh, A late runner, if we can term it that way, because he wasn't on the radar a little while back, but certainly got on the radar in the last few days, and quickly, uh, the deal was done. No doubt endorsed by the AFL. Brad Scott is the new coach of the Essendon Football Club. In Melbourne, Jimmy Bartell uh, spoke about the appointment of uh, the former North Melbourne coach and now the brand-new Essendon coach with Shane McGuinness. This is what they had to say. Oh, I think everyone uh, or every club that goes into appointing a coach, you want them to be the long-term coach because that means they've been a successful coach. Correct. You've got to be willing to commit to this plan because you haven't committed to the other plans. So the fact that part of your interviewing process is you'd be wanting to hear, all right, Scotty, what, what's the plan for one year, three years going forward? So, But he, he'll also ask for that protection. So you're not going to sign up to be coach of Essendon if they've gone through six coaches in 14 years without being given the proper opportunity to see it through. Knights, Heard, Thompson, Walsfold, Rutten, and now... Brad Scott. Did you forget Matt Egan for his interim uh, interim, <laughs> interim time? He's actually in the uh, season guide as well. But I think, Jim, too, with, with Brad Scott, you go with someone who's hardened, who's been there, and regardless who was going into that coaching position, because it is the Essendon Football Club, one of the biggest clubs in the land, they were going to be watched like a hawk and were going to be under the microscope because the way in which the club in ways, botched the departure of Ben Run, botched the lure of Alistair Clarkson. I think it didn't matter if it was Brad Scott, Ross Lyon, or a first-time coach like Adam Uze, they were always going to be under the microscope. Absolutely. They've got 82,000 members. Can you um, – like, this could be a great thing for Brad Scott. You imagine if they start winning. Yep, and I reckon he'll sort of get them winning. Don't worry about that. Uh, he was very good at North Melbourne. Uh, fell a bit foul right at the end, but there are other circumstances that pertain to that. Earlier today, before it was announced, Matthew Lloyd, of course, the Essendon champion, said this about Brad Scott because it was looming that he was going to be announced later today. Over 200 games of experience as a coach and then obviously what he's done in the last couple of years will also help with his role at the AFL. But some some people will say, was this set up for Brad the whole time? Surely it's been about a process that the club said has process, process, process. Is there one? All those things will come. But I, I've got faith in that he's still got to come in and present and, and yep. beat beat the others. They say James presented really well, Uze presented really well, so that he has been given a document that he has to turn up and present to today and then beat those other candidates. So rather than thinking just because Brad, who's coached before, 
suddenly yeah. means that he gets the job. Well, he must have impressed. That was earlier today before the official announcement. Uh, he impressed and he was ticked off and he's got the job. So the brand new coach of the Essendon Football Club is Brad Scott. You can join us any time at the Temper of Bedshed text line 0487 736 736 or the Scarborough Toyota open line. You can call 13 12 55. Uh, they buy and sell any makes and models there at Scarborough Toyota in Osmond Park. Uh, go and see them. Uh, this is uh, for Tool Mart. Get the right tool from the start. The drive show with Peter Vlahos. We'll take an early break and then we'll come back with Jeff Hendricks, who, as I mentioned, still holds the record as the youngest ever premiership player in the West Australian Football League. He was there for West Perth in the 1975 grand final when uh, the Cardinals, as they were known then, were big winners over South Fremantle. Jeff joins us next here on SENWA. Tulma, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. This is The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Great to have your company. Uh, there's a lot of history when it comes to WA FL Grand Finals. Now, we know it, that since 1987, when the West Coast Eagles came in, it changed the dynamics of the waffle as we know it. For better or worse, who knows? But it goes back a long way, well over a century, this competition, this SAIC competition that we're so proud of. And before the AFL, the WAFL was the league. Don't worry about that. I remember going in 1978 as a young boy to see West Perth take on East Perth. East Perth won that game and got into the finals. They were sitting fifth before that final round of fixtures. And as we know, the rest is history. They jumped into second. It was such a tight competition and eventually took the flag that year. Well, three years earlier in 1975, there was a grand final between West Perth and South Fremantle. And it was the Cardinals, as they were known then, now the Falcons, that were so dominant. They kicked really the backside of South Fremantle, and they won by just under 100 points, about 96 points, but they kicked 10 goals in the last quarter. And a guy that played in that game still holds the record for the youngest ever WAFL premiership player. He's a good fella. I know him fairly well, and uh, he joins us on the program now. Jeff Hendricks, thanks for your time. Yeah, good, thanks, Peter, and... uh... Yeah, glad to make the time. Yeah, no, I appreciate your time very much indeed. Of course, you still hold the record as the youngest ever WAFL Premiership player. You played for West Perth in the 1975 WA NFL Grand Final. It was known there. You obliterated South Fremantle, by, I think, by about 96 points. It was the day that Barry Day kicked eight goals for then the Cardinals, as they were known. But, Jeff, tell us firstly about your journey, 16 years of age, and, of course, you're playing in the biggest game of football on this side of Australia. Yeah, it was certainly an interesting start to my career because uh, um, in those days I was still at school in year 11 and uh, I was at Trinity and played Alco Cup um, for the middle part of, of the season and came back to West Perth, I think, with two games to go with the home and away season. Um, and fortunately, the leagues I got belted against uh, Swan Districts at Bassendine in that uh, second last game, and they made changes for the last game. And um, why me? I can't tell you. Um, I don't know if they've been tracking uh, school footy or whatever. 
that I got the call up and uh, the rest became a bit of history. It was an amazing, it was a case of uh, timing. But saying that, Jeff, you're an outstanding junior footballer. Tell us about your junior path that led you to West Perth. Well, funnily enough, Peter, I played all of my uh, junior footy in the East Perth zone because I went to uh, uh, St. Mark's College and that was in the East Perth zone and they had a junior team in their uh, competition. And it wasn't until... um, year 10 where we couldn't field a side and so I had to go and either play juniors in the West Perth zone because mum and dad lived in the West Perth zone or I had two older brothers playing uh, under 21s in those days and so the coach down there said come down and play with us and um, so that started my career at West Perth uh, in the in the lower grades. As I recall, because we're roughly the same vintage, and I remember you playing junior football. Of course, you represented WA at State Schoolboys as well, didn't you? Uh, no, that was... Um, the, the rules were very, very different then, Peter, because I went to a private college. In those days, no-one who went to a non-government school played State Schoolboys because it was a state school competition. Oh, OK, so there you go. There you go. Saying that, uh, do you remember the morning of the grand final? It was Saturday the 27th of September, and Jeff Hendricks, a little 16-year-old, is getting ready to play in front of over 50,000 people in the Waffle grand final. Do you remember the morning of the match? Um, I do in part, mainly because in those days they used to have the, the oval shape in the West Australian and the... Uh, picture of the heads of the players in there. So That's I was looking right. at our West Perth team so I could figure out who exactly I was playing with. <laughs> it was like that because you were playing with some of the greats of all time. Really, when you look at Mel Winnan, who won the Simpson medal in their grand final, and then you had Billy Dempsey, you were playing with royalty, weren't you? Oh, listen, um, absolutely. In terms of... Uh, West Australian football history probably doesn't get much bigger than uh, Mel and Bill and uh, other stalwarts, West Perth stalwarts. In, in you mentioned a few before in terms of uh, you know Alan, Alan Watling and uh, you know just a host of names during that era. Mm. Saying that, as you said, Barry Day kicked eight. Do you recall uh, that occasion? Uh, not many players kick eight goals in a grand final. I think West Perth kicked ten goals in that final term to completely obliterate South Fremantle. They only kicked one behind. That was the reason the margin was so big. It was that last quarter burst. Uh, well, that Barry kicked seven of those ten goals in the last quarter. So, um, you know, uh, and at that stage, um, at that stage, yeah, at three-quarter time, we were sitting comfortably. Um, but if you recall, all the teams that kicked to the then-new t- three-tier stand-in won the game. We, I can't remember whether we won or lost the toss, but we were kicking that way, so the game was all over on the toss. Simple as that. <laughs> well, when you're 16 years old and you're looking for superstitions, absolutely. Uh, Jeff, you played 169 games for West Perth, but that was the only premiership team in 1975. Tell us about the remainder of uh, your career there. Yeah. Again, uh, we, we managed to play... Um, in finals, but never, never in a grand final. And uh, probably our best, uh, our best chance during the rest of my career was probably 1982, where uh, when 
Swans beat Claremont in the grand final. We were the only team, I think, that could handle Swan Districts, but we couldn't handle Claremont, so we couldn't get there. Amazing. It was interesting, um, actually, looking at your career. After you played in the 1975 Premiership side, as your career continued on, I think uh, Graham Farmer pushed you forward, didn't he? And I think in the early rounds of the 1977 season, you hit the scoreboard quite frequently. Tell us about the role that you played for West Perth during 116 games and where you predominantly played. Yeah, I was I was one of those people at uh, 185 with six one basically, and because of, I was athletic, I was probably you know, too small to be tall and too tall to be small. So I became the jack of all trades. So I played everywhere in a league position other than road during my uh, my career. So I was sort of uh, shoved around a little bit and uh, did a bit of ruck roving, played at centre-half forward, played at full forward, centre-half back, full back, um, and along the sides. And uh, probably it was 1982, Dennis Cometti's first year, where Dennis came to me and basically said, listen, um, you've been thrown around a little bit, let's just play you off uh, half-back. And I was probably running running half-back, and um, that was probably my best year of, of consistent footy. Um, during my career. Mm. Tell us about your career. You look, look back on it with fondness, no doubt. It, but is being a 16-year-old and playing in the West Perth Premiership team of 1975 still the all-time highlight? Um, yeah, absolutely. I suppose uh, it, because you're so young and, and not as worldly as you would like, it, it probably didn't hit me until you know, many years later of... of um, of the significance of of that particular game, and and you know, um, I mean, there are things along the way, Peter, that I've basically gone from playing junior footy to playing league footy, and I was just so naive of adult footy and male men bodies against um, something where I was the biggest kid, probably the fastest kid at that stage, and um, didn't have to worry too much about anybody uh, to then. You know, being picked off at different times and and having to adapt the game. So, in a sense, if I had probably not done it, then I may have even had a different career because probably would have been a little bit more football worldly. Yeah, uh, certainly in those early years. You still got an interest in the game, Jeff? Oh yeah. Uh, up until up until this year, I've been scouting. Uh, for the Sydney Swans for the last uh, six or seven years and been involved in scouting work since the early 2000s and uh, what have you. I follow it. I, I probably um, follow West Perth more than I do any other team. And from an AFL perspective, I just like watching good footy. Yeah. Um, and other than two games in the final series, one of them, unfortunately, Sydney and... and uh, probably the uh, um, week before where they had two blowers, but you know, we were spoiled with some really good footy. Yeah. Just before I let you go, of course, the Hendricks name is synonymous with sport, not only dad, but of course your son, Liam, who of course is a professional baseball pitcher for the Chicago White Sox uh, in the major league baseball there in the United States. I suppose COVID was uh, pretty tough, uh, but I believe you eventually popped over to the US to see the eldest child. And how's he going? Yeah, we were fortunate enough. Uh, I retired recently, and uh, the first trip was uh, a we could fly out of Australia. So we spent a month in uh, in uh, the US in um, July, 
and hadn't seen our son and daughter-in-law for near on three years. So it was good to catch up. Um, it's very hard to catch up, Peter, during the baseball season because they play every day mm. and travel. Um, so you spend a lot of time watching baseball, which is, is fine, but you don't spend enough time with your, with your kids. <laughs> Yeah. We're going back at Christmas. That'll oh, good our, stuff. That'll be our big catch-up time. So, oh, lovely. Uh, and our daughter and her husband are coming with us, so we'll have a family Christmas in uh, in Arizona. Oh, that'd be really nice. Uh, just tell us about Liam, because I, I heard he wasn't a bad footballer as a kid as well, taking after his dad, and he could have been drafted by the West Coast Eagles under the father and son rule. What led him down the baseball path? Um. Well, he had success at both at that level, and baseball was was the earlier signing period, so you could sign a year earlier with baseball. And I think in in again at that stage he was uh, seventeen, being touted. He actually signed on his eighteenth birthday. But um, I think his in his mind was, well, let's have a couple of years in the US, see how this goes. Um, if it doesn't work out, I'll be nineteen, twenty, and could potentially come back to to football. Um, so that was his thinking. But, of course, uh, history will show that he's uh, stayed there and become very successful uh, and very wealthy at that. Yeah, no, the last contract was a beauty. So make sure he shouts the beers when you head over there for Christmas. I think he'd be okay to do that for mum and dad and, of course, his sister. Saying that, before we let you go, does he still follow Aussie rules? Because, if I remember, he may have been a, a North Melbourne fan as a kid. He, he he follows it, follows it closely. He's uh, we've got a very small competition, uh, tipping competition over here with uh, our best friends and and their family. He's a member of that. He follows it closely. Again, uh, the other day we spoke to him. He was going home uh, to watch the uh, first half of the grand final because it would have been 11:30 p.m. for them at the start of the game. So I think by half time he was. Uh, he could turn the TV off. Um, things weren't going exactly uh, well. Um, but his wife tipped along, so, uh, you know, they were happy. Mm. No, he's had an incredible <laughs> career over there. Of course, he won the, I think, the uh, Relief uh, Pitcher of the Year Award for a second year in a row, becoming, I think, only the second White Sox pitcher in history to uh, take off that award. And I think he just recently played in the All-Star game as well. I think he's played there multiple times. So he's a real talent, and no doubt, in the United States. Yeah, he said he's, uh, he signed a contract and he was very keen to honour and make sure that he earned that contract. And, uh, you know, three-time All-Star, which from an Australian perspective, no one's done it more than once. So, um, um and he's just recently also, Peter's been nominated for what they call the Roberto Clemente Award, which is uh, an award that each team nominates a player for their uh, charitable works and everything. That's his fourth nomination. So we're probably just as proud as uh, Liam and Christie's work off the field um, with uh, with their various charities. Fantastic. What a great story. What a great family. Jeff, thanks for joining us. As we let you go, uh, firstly... Are you going to the game on Saturday at the beloved Leederville Oval, the spiritual home? If you're not, I gather you'll be watching it somewhere. Certainly watching it. Unfortunately, we had prior commitments from uh, from about three months ago. So we're at, at that stage, we didn't know. But uh, I'll be trying to tap into all three grades. I, I don't. I can't ever recall 
even reading history where West Perth have had three teams in the grand final. So hopefully it'll be a very, very successful day for the red and the blue um, across all three grades. Good on you, Jeff Hendricks. Thanks for joining us here and reliving your special moment with the West Perth Football Club. Still hold the record as the youngest ever premiership player in the WAFL competition. Thanks for your time here on the program. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. Yeah, good on you, Jeff. Uh, lovely to talk to you. I uh, hope you enjoyed that here on SENWA. Drive with Peter Vlahos, wherever you may be listening, of course, on 657. And a big cheerio, actually, to an Uber driver who's listening on 657. Chase, if you're still listening, thanks for joining uh, the program. And I believe you're a tennis fan. No doubt you would have been right across, of course, the Roger Federer farewell. And uh, we're not too far away from our... Grand Slam, aren't we, the Australian Open. So good on you, Chase. Thanks for listening to 657. For those people listening on Spirit 621 through Bunbury in the southwest and the gold fields at 16 to 11. Norm of Kalgoorlie, of course, a regular listener through the gold fields on the DAB Plus Radio at SEN Peel or on the SENWA app. 29 past five. Love the NRL Grand Final. It's a beauty this year. The Panthers and the Eels. And a man that played over 100 games... For the Panthers is Scotty Sattler. He joins us next here on Drive. Zulma, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. This is The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Yes, we're doing all right. It's a Thursday and if you are going to the WAFL Grand Final... At Leaderville Oval on Saturday, a bit of slip-slop-slap. 27 degrees at this stage, the forecast stop. 28 tomorrow around Perth. Uh, the weather is just beautiful at this stage. Spring weather, even though there is the forecast for a bit of rain maybe mid-next week. On the Tempera Bedshed text line 0487 736 736. Uh, hi, Pete and Haggers. No, Haggers is not in. The footy season's over. Haggers uh, with his swan song on Monday, but we look forward to having Haggers involved uh, going forward. With Lob going to the dogs, Frio should approach Geelong uh, around maybe seeing if uh, Isava Radagalia is available. That's from Michael Palmyra. Yeah, he's been in and out, hasn't he, Radagalia? Just been a bit of a fence sitter for the Cats uh, with their powerful squad. Uh, certainly times that he's played, he's been very, very useful indeed as a tall. So we'll see whether they look at that. Uh, also from Peter. In fact, Jonesy from Adora Bay says, Great interview, Peter. I'd heard about Jeff Hendricks, but knew little of him. Awesome, Pete. So there you go. Jonesy of Medora Bay enjoyed the previous interview when it came to Jeff Hendricks. Hope you enjoyed it as well. All right, let's focus on the other grand final. We've had the AFL grand final that was staged last weekend. This weekend, it's all about the NRL grand final, the battle of the West between the Parramatta Eels, who'll be looking to take off their first premiership for 36 years, taking on a team that is now become second nature in recent times when it comes to NRL Grand Finals. It's their third appearance. Their coach, Ivan Cleary, certainly has been an outstanding mentor and has taken Penrith uh, into their third successive Grand Final after beating the Rabbitohs and coming from behind last week in that preliminary final. man that played over 100 games for the Penrith Panthers is Scotty Sattler, and he joins us here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. All thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre. Scotty, thanks for your time. No worries, Pete. Any time. What's grand final week like there in Sydney? The Battle of the Westies, eh? The Panthers and the Eels. Should be a beauty. Yeah, anything past the toll gates uh, <laughs> out the M4 all the way out to the Blue Mountains. It's pretty quiet, to be quite honest, but 
all around uh, Parramatta and all those those greater western regions, all the way up through the Blue Mountains, up to Bathurst, um, which is about you know it's a, an hour or so, an hour and a half away from Penrith. It's yeah, it's quite active. A lot of houses, a lot of decorations. Uh, I've got to say, Penrith in their third year in a row going to a grand final. They're a little bit more subdued, still passionate. But uh, I've got to say the Parramatta fans who haven't been in a, in a grand final since 2009, which they lost, um, they're, you know, they're, uh, they're a little bit more, it was the easiest way to say, a little bit more energetic about their side playing this <laughs> Sunday. Now, of course, you had a very illustrious career at the Panthers. You played there for four or five seasons and notched over 100 games for the Panthers. Is there a soft spot for them, even though they're playing in their third consecutive NRL grand final? Yeah, there's not too many soft spots, to be quite honest. Um, what you've got to do with a team like Panthers, who are so settled in everything they do, and everyone knows their job, and everyone knows everyone else's job as well, is they're super fit, they play at this high-octane speed, and you've got to be able to, willing to go with them, but you've got to be unpredictable against them. Um, they don't like unpredictability. They like you to try and go toe-to-toe with them. So when it comes to weaknesses... Uh, there's not too many, to be quite honest. So you've got to try and find it, and you've got to have a lot of patience. You've got to have a lot of composure, uh, because if you try and play um, a little bit more, um, oh, what's the easiest way to say? If you, if you try and rush things in a game against Penrith, well, they'll, they'll make you suffer. So mm. um, Parramatta have got a pretty good record against Penrith, um, even when they've been beaten by Penrith, they've they've always been a, been in an arm wrestle for a long period of time. So, I think it's the one team because of their unpredictability in the way they play. It's the one team Penrith probably have had their eye on over their shoulder, looking over their shoulder at. Interesting when you look at the game last week, and I viewed the match uh, between the Panthers and the Rabbitohs. I thought the Rabbitohs had the Panthers on toast early. They led twelve to zip. It seems like the Rabbitohs lost their way in the second half. It was more losing their way or the brilliance of Cleary and co to just take the game by the scruff of the neck after halftime. Yeah, just a, a more, I suppose, cohesive unit with with the Penrith side. And I mentioned that word before, patience and composure, and they're the masters of it. So what they do is they, even though they're 12-0 down, they don't panic. They don't feel as though they've got to play catch-up rugby league. They just continue doing what they do and they continue just slowly... Just, turning the speed up a little bit and seeing whether you're willing to go with them. And, and any little mistake that you make, they just pounce. And they did that before half-time. South Sydney leading 12-6, made a mistake right on half-time. Brian Toto, their, their great winger, intercepts or picks up a loose ball and runs 70 metres to score a try to make it 12 half-time. The minute they got to 12 all, I thought it was a foregone conclusion mm. and they were willing to, just to go to the next level and, and South weren't able to go with them. Yeah, no, they uh, scored 32 unanswered points to win it comfortably in the end. Let's look at the coaches. Uh, Parramatta coach Brad Arthur, from all reports, has done an outstanding job to get the Eels where they are. But then you've got Ivan Cleary, who's been there, done that. Can you give us a bit of a critique on the two coaches? Uh, yeah, two completely different coaches. Ivan Cleary has uh, had a, a very illustrious NRL career, um, very good fullback come centre, and played in grand finals as a player and coached in a grand final, coached the Warriors to a grand final back in 2011. Now, then went to the, the Panthers and has been able to come, it's all about timing, arrive at the club with a really good crop of you know, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. They all hit first grade together and they're all going through this, this amazing ride together. And he's 
He's a really introverted, doesn't get overly animated, very quiet, and you very rarely see his, his heart rate get above 70. And he's got two assistant coaches that really wield a, a quite a heavy stick when they need to, but he just stays really composed, and it really is a, a reflection of their coach, the way they play. They're, they're really composed with everything they do, and that's the way Ivan is. He, you know, When the camera pans to him in the coach's box, he's a little bit like Wayne Bennett, just straight face, doesn't get too excited. And then on the other hand, you've got Brad Arthur, who who basically, um, well, he does, he's got... He's got a great connection with his players. His players absolutely love him. He, he knows everything about his players' private lives and he knows everything about their families and he's really invested in his players. He's got great empathy, but he is he's a throwback. He's a little bit like Craig Bellamy from the Melbourne Storm where he is animated. He mm. is a quite an aggressive, in-your-face uh, coach. But their, their players really respond to it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. With the battle of the coaches... It'll come down to the experience of Ivan Cleary up against a guy who admitted after Saturday Friday night when they beat the Cowboys, I don't have a clue what I'm doing this week. I've never been here before. <laughs> like so, you've got the the inexperienced and the excitable young, you know, excitable coaches there for the first time up against a, you know, just a. A proven winner in mm. Ivan Cleary. Parramatta is such a big brand in NRL. I lived in Sydney during the 80s. actually went to their last uh, grand final. It was a terrific event. Uh, but the Eels were a special t- side then with the likes of the Sterlings and the Kennys and the Cronins and all them. Why have they gone by the by in the last two or three decades? Do you think that Parramatta would be one of those clubs that would be fighting for top honours every few years? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because in 2001... Uh, when Peter Sterling retired, well, really after 86, when Mick Cronin and Ray Price retired, and yeah, Brett Kenny and Peter Sterling kept playing after that. But after Ray Price and, and Mick Cronin, um, they retired, they didn't taste a lot of success. And it was it's really that life after. It's like taking over from Wally Lewis as a, as a state of origin 5'8". And, um, you know, it's, it's like taking over... The, the you know, a premiership winning coach in the AFL, and you're expected to do so much in that, uh, when you're taking over a premiership winning side. So, you know, it, it, it's an interesting one because in 2001 they dominated every part of the competition. They broke every record in the NRL: points scoring, you know, points conceded, all those boring stats. And I think they only lost two or three games throughout the year. They got to the grand final, losing 24-0 at half time, and inevitably got beaten. 2009 had this amazing run coming from eighth spot into the grand final on the back of Jared Hayne. This, you know, this, it was a super scale wonder kid. He was only 21 years of age, and but outside of that, they've yeah they've they've just never been able to to strike that fatal blow. They've never had a a full team of of players that have got this great continuity about them. Um, and to be quite honest, Parramatta's emotional and psychological toughness has always been questioned in big games. But this year there seems to be something different about them. It's a, a real window they've got. They've got a lot of players leaving, key players are leaving at the end of the season to go to other clubs. So this is a very small window for this Parramatta team that you know, they've got to win it this year or they, they might find themselves just trying to sort of get back to that top four for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just that, that continuity they've lacked and this year they've they seem to have found it. They'll get the neutral support because they haven't won one in 36 years. Saying that, just a couple of final ones, Scott, is that 
do you expect a close one or do you think the experience and the composure and the match-winning ability of individual players will be enough that will take Penrith over the line? Yeah, well, I think it's going to be a close one, to be, to be honest, Pete. I, I, I think because it's Parramatta, they have this ability to unsettle Penrith a little bit. I think Penrith will eventually win, and I, I think they'll win by maybe 10 or 12 points, but I don't think it's going to be until late. I think it's in the last six or seven minutes where Penrith will be able to pull away from them. I hope we're not talking about the game because of some you know, decision that's been made by the bunker or an on-field referee, but if we look at the pure basics of rugby league, I think the last seven or eight minutes... That's when it will come down to Penrith just showing that experience in big games and not panicking and, and winning the game. Mm. Saying that, I believe uh, the NRL grand final events leading up to the big one at uh, the Olympic Stadium have all been basically in Sydney. They haven't done anything out in the wests of uh, Sydney where, of course, all the fans are around Parramatta or around Penrith. All the grand final events are in town. Yeah, they are. I know Parramatta Mall. They've, they've put something in Parramatta Mall, which, again, is um, you know, patriotic towards uh, the Parramatta fans. But I think because it is because it is Parramatta and Penrith, you know, Parramatta's a good sort of 35 to 40 minutes from, from the city and Penrith's about now from the city west. So um, I think because it is out in the west and it doesn't involve a lot of the people in the city, um, there's no real neutral place that you could that you could put... Penrith and Panamata fans in the one area. It's a little bit like the Ukraine and Russia. <laughs> the borders like down the middle of, of both these regions. I mean, they just absolutely despise one another. They hate one another. And Penrith have, have won three competitions in their, in their you know, in their, uh, since 1967. Parramatta, a few more, um, but just mortal enemies. So I don't think there's any neutral area in the West that could have held something without something diabolical happily happening. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's terrific. Uh, they've never played in a grand final before. You mentioned that you expect the Panthers to win by maybe 10 or 12. It should be an absolute beauty. You must be looking forward to it. And I reckon Jimmy Barnes will fire them all up as well. I love Jimmy Barnes. I, I think Jimmy Barnes and Cole Chisel should be there every year. <laughs> I, I just think we should have a... Yeah, a strange history of rock there every year. And I've got to say, Pete, before I go, um, this is a grand final that may not have happened because not a lot of people know that back in 1999, Penrith and Parramatta were going to merge as one super club for the 2000 season. And it was at the last moment, it was uh, knocked on the head by the, the, by the Panthers Supremo back then in Roger Cowan. It never went ahead. He said, we're going to go by ourselves. And Penrith won a comp in 2003. Yeah, four seasons later, and and um, yeah, so it could have been a grand final that never happened. Yeah, no, it'd be an absolute great event. I'm really looking forward to it. Enjoy the NRL grand final with all the the paraphernalia and all the entertainment. Uh you know, badged around it and the game itself should be an absolute beauty. And the fact that these two powers from the Western suburbs have never met in a GF uh, will add something special as well. Enjoy it, Scott. Thanks for uh, spending some time with us and uh, we look forward to keeping in touch. Enjoy grand final weekend. Yeah, it should be great. No worries, any time. Tilma, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA-owned and operated for over 40 years. This is The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Yes, tomorrow I'll be back, actually, not with Drive, but on the run home with Michael Barlow. Mickey Barlow's going to join us between three and five. Yes, Paul Hayes will be on holidays, uh, Damien Martin, other commitments, so they've got the A-team coming in. 
Barlow and Vlahos tomorrow between three and five. I'm going to really quiz uh, Mickey about uh, everything to do with the AFL, in particular his former club, the Fremantle Dockers. Michael Barlow on the run home tomorrow between three and five. Let's update for tyre power. Buy three and get one free on selected Kumo passenger car and SUV tyres. Down there at Tyre Power, just repeating the news that we mentioned at the top of the program, Brad Scott is the new Essendon Bombers coach. He won the role over Melbourne assistant Adam Uze and uh, the Essendon legend in James Hurd to snag the role. He interviewed yesterday, so he came out late, uh, did Brad Scott. No doubt, you'd have to think, pushed on a bit by the AFL. As we know, he was the uh, AFL football operations uh, manager and uh, the general manager of football. So Brad Scott joins his twin brother, Chris, back as AFL coaches. Chris at the moment celebrating still, do you think, Geelong's premiership. In other sport, Tim Payne will pad up for a competitive game of cricket for the first time since sensationally standing down as Australia's test captain late last year. As we know, he was forced to walk away from the game after it was revealed that he sent uh, sexually explicit text messages to a former cricket Tasmania employee back in 2017. But he returned for a game... For the first time in almost 12 months, he'll play for Cricket Tasmania Premier League side, the University of Tasmania, like uni here in WA grade cricket. And wish uh, Tim Payne all the best. Now, footage has emerged today of Murica Federer consoling a tearful Rafael Nadal during the emotional scenes at the Labor Cup following uh, Roger Federer's final match. As we know, Federer was granted a stunning swan song as his greatest rivals gathered to celebrate his career at the O2 Arena in London on the weekend. And the 20-time Grand Slam champion played his final match alongside his greatest rival, Nadal. But the duo went down to Jack Sock and Francis Tiafo of the United States. But the tennis world was uh, quite... Uh, well, they erupted over the images of Federer and Nadal grabbing hands as they cried together during the celebratory tribute. And their goodbye to the legend. And then Merica has posted uh, she was hugging team captain Bjorn Borg and Andy Murray before noticing an emotional Nadal still sitting on the team bench. So she went over to Nadal as the pair embraced and shared that uh, special moment. So uh, nice to see. That's on social media. It's just been posted. And uh, I think a lot of people uh, have certainly commented on that as well. On the Tempera Bedshed text line 0487 736 736. Johnny at Woodvale says... Is there a market out yet for how long Brad Scott will rule last with the Bombers fans and factions? Unrealistic expectations. I bet they will be calling for Hurt again. So John reckons it won't go well, the new marriage between Brad Scott and also the Essendon Footy Club. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Thanks for joining us. As I said, I'll be back tomorrow filling in for Damo on the run home between three and five. Mark, Mark. Michael Barlow will join us, the former Fremantle doc, and we'll discuss everything footy, the wash-up to the AFL season, plus all the news that's being bandied around the AFL at the moment. So look forward to your company from three tomorrow. Thanks, Jimmy. Have a great night tonight, and stay listening to SENWA.